As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to... Today's edition of Until Saturday, the Athletics College Football Podcast. I am your host today, David Ubbin, here with Ari Wasserman, who I'm sure you're very familiar with, and our guy, Alabama writer, Kenny Smith, better known as Kennington Lloyd Smith. He uh, does some SEC stuff for us, covers Alabama. Fellas, how are we feeling today? Feeling great. Um, the new guy on the block and on this podcast, <laughs> but uh, I'm excited to be here, living the dream here in Alabama. And uh, before Ari gives his piece, I want to say I listened to y'all's top five most intriguing quarterbacks, and Ari threw his name in at the end. But I am shocked that Cade McNamara was not in the top five, seeing that he is the only player, not even quarterback, the only player in the country whose performance um, will determine someone's job fate at the end of the season. So, um, Wish he would have made it the top five, but I enjoyed that that podcast. We sure. gave him a little. We gave him a little bit of a a, a microscope treatment in the uh, uh, the QB tears podcast. We we got into the Cade McNamara conversation. Uh, Ari, what's going on today? My wife um, has a hard time sleeping, and if she wakes up in the middle of the night, she doesn't go back to sleep, um, and that has caused you know some. Tension for me because I'm so afraid to wake her up in the middle of the night. The good news is we found something that could really help her. I'm not talking about NyQuil. I'm not talking about medicinal marijuana. I'm not talking about any of the things that people, melatonin, anything that people take. We are just going to play Cade McNamara games while he's on Iowa. (laughs) Just so she can sleep through the night. (laughs) Because you know damn well it's going to be putting her to bed. I don't know. No. Not everybody can retire Spencer Petra, sorry. Listen, guys, the idea of what is at stake at Iowa is super compelling and downright hilarious. The marriage of Cade McNamara and that offense couldn't be more boring to me. Like, it's the only reason why it's entertaining is because somebody is either going to kill or be killed at the end of the year. Uh, But if it was just a regular season without that insane contract and you actually had to sit through an entire year of watching Cade McNamara throw three yard outs to a tight end on third and nine, like it would just like my wife will be so well rested by the time January comes along. We're going to have a hell 
of a, of a winter and spring. There's nothing compelling to me about that other than what's happening with uh, Brian Ferentz. So is this basically uh, like you're 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 basically saying that Iowa football is like putting Ben Stein in a Rambo movie. Is that what you're saying? Yes. <laughs> and you might be like, oh, well, there's a bunch of action around it. And certainly there is. But <laughs> still Ben Stein. Perhaps. Perhaps. Well, folks, we are in week zero. Uh, but August 28th, you're going to see some familiar names and familiar faces in the pod feed. Stars Matter, which uh, is our recruiting podcast. I'm sure our listeners are well aware. Uh, Ari, I think you have that tattooed on your chest, um, but mm-hmm. that is uh, your uh, recruiting show, along with Manny Navarro, Mitch Light, and Grace Rayner. Are you, guys all, you guys are all on there pretty frequently. We're all on there. We, we, yeah. It started off where it was just me and Mitch. But we're spreading the love got now. The, that got the party going. It took uh, it. It took a minute yeah. there, but we figured out at the athletic and in college football that recruiting is important. So, uh, <laughs> you know, they should just rename the feed "Stars Matter." But that's not my. That's not my. Uh, we're working group. on it. We're working yeah. on it. You can also hear Max Olson and Sam Khan's show and Power Hour with Nicole Auerbach and Chris Vanini. Uh, be sure to follow this podcast feed until Saturday uh, on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, I'm personally a Spotify man, but they're everywhere. Drop us a five-star review. And if we leave a question with your review, we're probably going to answer it on the show in a mailbag. It's going to be pretty interactive this season, so we're looking forward to that. Subscribe to us on YouTube. We've got new video content uh, daily. And be sure to join us live uh, this Saturday and Thursday on YouTube as we preview Week Zero. Uh, on Thursday, we'll recap Saturday's action. Uh, Ari and I will be doing that. And come, of course, be a part of our new Sunday Sound Off stream. Um, not only alliterative, but very entertaining. Uh, that'll begin at about 6 o'clock Eastern. We're going to answer your voicemails, Twitter questions, YouTube comments. If you want to send us a woof, uh, all that stuff uh, coming off of Saturday's games, we can get to it. But today, fellas, got some business to get to. We're talking best case and worst case scenarios for the folks at the top of the heap. In the SEC, which I'm told is College Football's best conference, the Pac-12, which will be college football's most fun conference this year, and the G5, uh, which we're told not to use, and if you ask Mike Oresco, is uh, tantamount to a slur, but we're just going to go with Group of Five today for simplicity's sake. Guys, let's start in the SEC, and let's start with the two-time defending champions, the Georgia Bulldogs. Now, it's easy to say that... Well, we can't see a way that this team doesn't make the playoff, right? They're too talented. Uh, they're going to coast into the playoff, and that's their worst case scenario: is losing in the you know the semis to Michigan or um, TCU, of course. So I'm sure we'll be back in the national championship race this year, you know, or Ohio State or whoever we want to say, right? Uh, am I off base here, Ari? Is there a lower floor for Georgia than in the playoff? The floor for Georgia is losing in the playoff. The ceiling is winning in the playoff. It's like a two-game season for them. I don't know. That's a low house. That's like a four-foot. That's like a four-foot <laughs> range. You better be crawling around that house. What would have to happen in Georgia for them to lose two games in the schedule? Carson like, Beck like, let's stinks. come up with some it's sci-fi. It's easy, sci-fi. Ari. Carson oh Beck God. stinks and Mike Vogel stinks. That's it's it's very possible. I'm just saying to I, get them to two losses. What two teams? would beat them on this schedule if their quarterback was just fine. If their quarterback was 
Well, I'm saying if he's worse he's not than gonna, fine. Uh, but like if he's worse than fine, then they have other people that will come in. Kentucky, not can, have a Kentucky can do it. Kentucky can do it. Ole Miss can do it. Tennessee can do it. Tennessee can in do it. In what yeah. world can Kentucky do it? I'd love in to hear the, the, where, the thought process In the world process where Devin Leary is a baller and they can't score and Kentucky puts up 27 points. Have you ever watched Georgia play football before? <laughs> I'm just wondering. Ari, have you, Ari, I'm, I'm just you, wondering. If your quarterback's turning the ball over and stinks... You get some favorable field positions. Like a cut scene from The Waterboy. Like he's not going to turn the ball over seven times. I mean, like Georgia literally sucks the life out of you. Like Kentucky is not beating Georgia. What are you doing? Listen, we're saying what is the floor? What is the floor? Kenny, am I crazy? Is there a floor where Georgia does not make the playoff? What's the point, Mister Ari? Regular season here. You know, we want to make all the games matter. Well, then what's the point of even playing the next 12 games? They don't play any games, good are? games. It's not my fault their yeah. schedule stinks. I could, yeah, I could see a floor where Georgia doesn't make the playoffs. I mean, if they go in, if they lose one game in the regular season, which is possible, and I understand Ari's point that Georgia is dominant, but they did almost lose to Missouri last year. That was a game a where they were down and came, you know, had a ferocious run in the fourth quarter. But to act like Georgia is invincible against perceivably subpar opponents, I mean, we've seen – um, that to be the case that they can't get beat. So if they lose one game in the regular season and then go into the SEC championship with one loss and lose that game against either an Alabama, LSU, Texas A&M, whoever that is, with two losses, mm-hmm. we've seen that be the, the kiss of death in the playoff committee's eyes. And Georgia's schedule is not going to do them any favors. They're not going to have really any marquee wins to stand on, which mm-hmm. is something that hurt Alabama last year. So one loss in the regular season, a loss in the SEC championship, and Georgia's not in the playoffs. So... I could see it. Is it likely? I think Kenny's not laid really, it out for but us. yeah. <laughs> wait, I can wait, see did, it for sure. Did Kenny? Did Kenny say one loss in the regular season and then losing the SEC championship game? Yes. Yes. Okay, because like I was going to push back at the notion that they could lose a game and then wouldn't get in. I think a one loss SEC champion oh, is yes. in one hundred percent of the time. Oh, yeah, yes. So you would have yes. you would you you would have to lose a game in the regular season, which they'll get a mulligan for. Because mm-hmm. if they lose in the regular season, they're still probably going to be in Atlanta. And then once you're in Atlanta, playing in an indoor dome with those animals that are on that team, like, I don't know, you know, they, they could play a, a really good team on the other end of it. You know, they could play Bama or whatever, like they always do, and, and lose that game. I guess, theoretically speaking, you know, you could just be like, well, they almost lost to Mizzou last year, so they're definitely capable of losing again. <laughs> Like, they didn't lose to Mizzou, and when's the last time Georgia was actually upset? Was it when they lost to South Carolina in 2019? Yes. Like, is that the last time it happened? Yeah. Yes. Like, I, what what game on this? And, like, I'm not going to join you on the Kentucky can beat Georgia bandwagon. Like, if that happens, that would be remarkable, and we'll talk about it when it does, but that's not something you predict. So not necessarily I, I predict, s- but theoretically possible, yes. And I do think, Ari, you're, under, like, you're underrating a lot of these dynamics. Two things. One... Uh, when you're replacing as many pieces as Georgia does, there's always that level of doubt. You have a new OC. When you got the players that Georgia mm-hmm. has, things tend to things tend to look really good, and you got good players. But I think the thing that uh, and our our colleague Seth Emerson has talked about this a little bit this off season. It's possible that some teams are going to be able to run on Georgia this year. They don't have mm-hmm. the big space eater. You know, you don't have Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis in the middle of the paint. And it's you very know, you, easy to 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 lose track about how special those guys were. Yes, it they is. Were, they it were is. actually really, really, really special players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can I could buy that. Yeah. And so if teams, you know, if, if you don't have all of a sudden, 
you know, hey, we're going to throw four guys at you, and we can get to the pass with those four guys, and you can't run on us with those four guys, plus the linebackers. You know, don't overrate, you know, losing the type of linebacker play that they did. And not to say that Georgia doesn't bring a ton back, but it's possible. So, yeah, it, it's, it, it's it, highly I think Georgia unlikely gets the playoff, to me. But. Mm-hmm. It's highly unlikely to me that Carson Beck just stinks. He might not be special, but mm-hmm. he's going to be a serviceable player, and they have a lot of, of, of talent around him. And it's just like I'm looking at the schedule. It's like, are they going to lose to South Carolina? No. At Auburn, I guess, could be tricky if you freeze dial some stuff up, but probably yeah, not. maybe. At home against Kentucky, that's not even a road game. Like, throw that one out. You know, you have Florida, and you have Ole Miss, and you have uh, at Tennessee on the road. And, like, I know that there's a lot that has changed in, uh, you know, Athens since last year's Tennessee game. But that was, like, I had to turn it off because, like, I got sick to my stomach. I felt bad for Tennessee. Like, I was like, are they going to stop? Somebody it was can get tough. Them. It was tough like, to watch. I, so, and, like, you think if they're going <laughs> to, yeah. like, stop that, that, that gap in one year with Joe Milton, like, it's just a hard sell for me. So that, my that, idea, yeah. my, the one thing that concerns me with Georgia, and I don't know if this is cliche or not, but stop me if it is, is. There is a certain temperament in sports um, where once you've reached the mountaintop and then you've gone back again, that there's a desire or a complacency that just human nature that that sneaks in and like the want to and the desire to win again has to be innate. And what Nick Saban has done at, at Alabama is continually or at least 90% of the time, get the best out of his players, regardless of what has already been accomplished. And like, this is a very interesting year for Kirby smart and the idea that, you know, Georgia is going to have to prove like, are they a team that is turning into Alabama or do they have a really cool two year run? Um, like, is this the manifestation of becoming the next Nick Saban and the next Alabama or, or not? So to me, if this team lost with the team that they have coming back um, two games and didn't make the playoff this year, that would be a huge disappointment and also mm-hmm. a very big red flag for me in the idea of Georgia doing the the Sabination of the SEC, which is taking it over. So it's a very critical yeah. year for me in Georgia and the way that we perceive them as well, in my opinion. For the record, I think Georgia's in the playoff. I think they coast in the playoff, but I'm going to entertain the possibility that they don't. I'm uh, taking a notepad of the things that you say, though. Like I've got <laughs> I've got Texas <laughs> Like I've got a Dave Ubbin notepad here because you're not going to like the thing about podcasting sometimes that I really like, uh, but sometimes I hate is that, you know, when you say shit, you can just like throw it out there and then like two months go by and then everybody forgot that you said it. Are you keeping receipts, pal? I'm not going to (laughs) forget. Like (laughs) you might forget what I say. Uh, And people always remember when you're wrong. They never remember when you're right. But I'm going to remember remember when I'm right. Yeah. (laughs) I want to make sure that we remember when you were wrong too. Texas is going to knock Georgia out of the playoff. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's do. Let's do. The, let's have the Bama conversation. Okay, let's do it, Kenny. We've talked about uh, Bama on this podcast a lot. I think Ari is a little higher on them than I am. I generally have been driving the Bama's going nine and three bandwagon most of this offseason. I don't love the offense. Is that the floor for 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 Alabama? I think clearly this is a team that would not surprise anyone by winning the national championship this year. Everything goes right, so we don't have to talk about the best case scenario with them. But is there a floor below nine and three where Bama ends up in the basement? Uh, I don't know if I can see more than three losses. I mean, three losses in the Nick Saban era. I don't have it up in front of me, but how many times has that happened outside of his first season? Has it happened since then? That would I be... believe that I believe Mr. Uh, Steven Garcia delivered one, if I'm not mistaken. OK, like, well, that would I forget that, that would year, be a but... pretty that would be a pretty historic um drop off if they were to lose three by itself you look at their schedule i mean there are a lot of losable games texas texas a&m old miss tennessee lsu um the iron bowl is always going to be a competitive game we'll see what happens there with mm-hmm. with Hugh free so there's a collection of of games where you could say okay i could see bama losing that one but i would say three is is definitely the floor and the question that I would have is if Bama were to go nine and three, what would that season look like from start to finish? How many quarterbacks would they start in a nine and three season? What would their receiving core look like? That's probably one of the more underrated storylines outside of quarterback is the fact that for a long for a long time, uh, Bama's always had that dominant number one receiver. That's almost in Alabama's DNA as much as running the ball well and playing good defense. When you think about Julio Jones and all the way up until this last run with uh, J-Mo and John Mechie, they had they didn't have that last year. It's unclear if they're going to have that this year. So what became of, of the receiver room? Did the defense correct their, you know, their discipline errors? Penalties were a huge problem last year. So with two new coordinators, did those things get corrected or was it, you know, just a continuation of last year without the star power that they had in 2022? So mm-hmm. I see 9-3 as um, the floor. We see a, a comment. They went 10-3 in 2010. Okay. Yeah, so I, I was think correct. That was the Steven Garcia. Garcia year. That's the only time other than year one that Saban has lost three games in one regular season. I was in Is college. There, so it, it's hard yeah. for me to see them going below that. Mm-hmm. But Is that there, would you say I mean, below a, that? Yeah, yeah low, that's he a possibility. A floor, he said, "Is there a floor worse than nine and three? I don't see that." I think Dave said, right. "Dave goes Ari's a lot higher on Alabama than I am," uh, <laughs> and I guess that's true because you can't uh, get lower than you are <laughs> on them. I just like, think, I just think in the new SEC, you got to be able to score. I, look, Kenny, do you see like when you look uh, like when Jermaine Burton left Georgia and Georgia sort of just shrugged, even though they didn't really have any great receivers, and they were like, "Okay." And then he had a pretty modest year last year. And then, you know, I, I like Kobe Prentice made a couple plays. You know, Corey Brooks, I think, is like the most, like, the best bet to be the number one guy. I just don't – Is am I wrong? Is there a world in which any of those guys become, like, you know, a 1,400-yard receiver? 
I don't I don't see it. A fourteen hundred yard guy, I don't see it on, on this roster. Yards, think, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know if it's if it's Burton or Brooks. I think, you know, a bet would probably be Isaiah Bond, who, you know, was a mm-hmm. freshman last year and really flashed and is continuing to take that step forward. They have a group of like second year receivers who people feel confident in. I think Bond is probably the furthest along in that Malik Benson is a junior college transfer. um, And I feel like he's a player that within the fan base and the program that people are waiting on to pop and it hasn't quite happened yet in fall camp, but that doesn't mean it won't happen during the the season. So uh, I don't see a a dominant number one receiver at this point, Um, but I don't even think that's going to be Bama's play style. I think they're going to really build an offense around running the ball. And that balance has kind of gone away from the program in the last few years when they've had this great run of, of quarterback play. And especially last year, it really felt like Bryce Young hero ball was the strategy that Bill O'Brien went with. So you bring in, you bring in Tommy Reese. He really likes the, uh, you know, RPOs and read options. I feel like Jalen Milrow is going to get the first crack at quarterback. Mm-hmm. So building the game plan around his skill set, and they have a really, really talented running back room. I don't really see them putting their receivers in a position where they're going to be the the focal point of the offense. So I see a, a, an offense that's going to run the ball and try to hit deep shots when they can. And um, my money will probably be on Brooks as well. Uh, most experienced in the room, you know, biggest, fastest, big play threat guy got to work on his consistency. I know drops have been a problem in camp for the receiver room. So I don't see that, that dominant guy right now. I think that it's interesting with that, with Alabama, that this is the first team in modern recruiting rankings history to be a 90% blue chip ratio. And this is also the worst team um, in terms of not the worst team. They haven't played yet, but the team that has the most question marks in a decade, Mm -hmm. like the two things don't really equate well. And it's like, when I'm listening to Kenny talk about them of like run the damn ball, like that, that Southern like idea of just Jace McClellan rushing it up the middle and unstoppable uh, way, like makes me like queasy because that's like, you have to throw the ball over the place to win the national championship. You can't just, you're not going to, you're not going to be able to do that. Uh, Listen to, we were just talking about Georgia's schedule. Alabama's playing Texas, Ole Miss. They have back-to-back games at Mississippi State, which is a, you know, sneaky Careful. talented team. Careful. Uh, mm-hmm. Then you're on the road at AM. Then you have Arkansas. Then Tennessee, LSU, at Kentucky, and at Auburn. That's a really, really hard schedule. So, like, for me, it's like if Georgia played that schedule, I'd be like, okay, there's a, maybe there's ceiling, there, their basement's two losses. But, like, Alabama's schedule is twice as hard as um, – Georgia's and they might have to play uh, Georgia in the SEC championship game. So the one thing is for sure is I don't know what they're going to be. I would not pick them to win a national championship because of circumstance as well as the question marks on the roster. You can't control your schedule and you can't control how good LSU is this year, but you certainly can control the fact that it's like, what happened to Ja'Cory Brooks? Is that a five-star guy? Like, why is he not great? Or why is he not somebody that you can count on? You know, I'm looking at the recruiting classes and I see, you know, they've they've gotten quite a bit of of talent here. And I know Bond was a top 50 player nationally. And, you know, they have some other guys here on the roster that that should be very good. Like the idea that we can't identify a single player who could be a thousand yard receiver for them is very alarming, especially considering the fact that there's some people that are worried that Jay Lanilla can't even throw it that well. Mm-hmm. Um, so like when you add all that up together, like I can see where Dave is coming from. That said, I don't think a team with a 90% blue chip ratio is going to drop four games on this planet or any other planet. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get to the team that is this, this whole, this whole conversation is built for Ari. 
The most Kentucky? fun conversation. No, no, not okay. Kentucky. I, you had me fooled, bud. <laughs> All right, get, get your thumbs up. Go get your go get your wife. It's time to talk about the Aggies. My text, uh, my, my cult Aggie wife. Yes, babe. We're talking about the Aggies. <laughs> wait, no, that's wait, wait. What is it? Gigum. Yeah, the Gigum. All right. I think that there is a world in which Texas A&M has another losing season. I think there is yeah. a world yeah, there in is. which Texas A&M wins. I think there's a world in which Texas A&M wins the national championship. Yeah, Am I is. insane? No, you're not insane. When you talk about flo- basement and ceiling with a program, it's, it's, so it's like fun you're at the A&M. top of the stratosphere or you are like underground nine floors. Like, I don't know. <laughs> um, listen. Do you think if everything went well and Connor Wegman was awesome and Anaya Smith goes crazy and they get their run game back, their offensive play calling is functional and their defensive line is just nasty beyond belief that they could win a national championship this year? Mm-hmm. Like, I think on paper they have a team to do it. They're much more like Alabama and Georgia than they are like Vanderbilt. Or, Fifth most talented team or fourth? Yeah, they're. I think they're fourth in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, they are built from that standpoint to compete with those teams. The question is... Um, maybe you start with a ten-win season first, and then you start talking <laughs> in, national in, title. In like, theory, yeah, like in theory, yeah. you know. And I guess I I skip that step with with the horns a lot. But you know me, man. Like I've written over and over and over again that if A and M continues to keep these guys on the roster and sign classes like this, they should be very good. Now they have a they have a kitchen. They're cooking up some stuff in that kitchen. I don't know if it would pass pass the health code. Somebody comes into the kitchen, they might get a grease stain somewhere with all the chemistry uh, issues that they could have. But at the same time, too, it doesn't mean you don't make some sick ass nachos back there. You know, it doesn't have to be clean yeah. for it to be good. And I and I wonder uh, if it's going to be really, really good because they do have the ingredients to make something really special. It's just A&M is a walking disaster at every turn. And they were much worse off last year than they probably should have been. And you have a coach who's, you know, handing over the play calling range to another coach um, who, uh, you know, is very uh, interesting in his own right. So that to me, it's just a, it's like a recipe of can't miss television. So Texas A&M is basically Waffle House where either you're going to have the best meal of your life or food poisoning is basically Texas A&M is Iowa, but like entertaining (laughs) and talented. Yeah, I was. That's an interesting point because I went back and watched today. Actually, I watched Texas A&M and Bama's game from last year, and I saw mm-hmm. their offensive rankings. And I thought to myself, Texas A&M and Iowa are like the Spider-Man meme, where they're like pointing at each other. Except <laughs> they were last like you year, said, yeah. you know, Texas is Texas A&M is a lot more interesting, and they got the the five stars and um, you know Jimbo and, and that storyline. But um, you know, I kind of I'm somewhere closer to where Ari is at, where I think that. You know, I feel like their ceiling is probably like a New Year's Six level team. It's mm-hmm. hard for me to envision them making a run to the the national championship, but they do have the the talent. And you know, you're bringing up the point of them potentially winning the West. Their two games against Alabama in the last few years have gone down to the last play of the game. They beat them in 21 last mm-hmm. year. It went down to uh, basically a goal line stand. They beat LSU last year in the last week of the season. If you know. They were to beat Alabama and then they beat LSU in the last week of the season for bowl eligibility. Will we be thinking about them maybe in a different way heading into the season versus them going five and seven? So they've shown that they can compete against the, the top teams in the West, even in a down year like like last year. So I feel like they were a lot closer to contention than not. But it's hard for me to envision them making the playoff and going to the national championship this year, you know, a year after going five and seven. Mm-hmm. Let's tackle the Vols. Ari, 
What do you make? I, I live here in Knoxville, but I'm, I'm curious as somebody who doesn't live there. What do you make of where do you see this team's floor and ceiling? I think that their ceiling is last year's team. Like, I don't know if they are going to be better. And you, you're, you're there. You are, you know, you've covered that program for many years and you live there. So you can tell me if I'm off base, but they have a lot riding on a quarterback whose main tenant of, uh, or main bullet point on his resume is has been erratic, you know? And I think like being erratic is a really hard thing to overcome and certainly a hard thing to count on. So, you know, they are recruiting a little bit better. They brought in some transfers that, you know, could definitely help them out. But when I look at Tennessee's ceiling, I don't see playoff. Um, And I don't necessarily see, you know, a team that is going to be competing for a national championship, even though they come in as a quasi top 10 team. But I also think that they still should be a far off basement from being a joke like they were a few years ago. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like if, if even if Bazooka Joe was awesome, that they would have a similar year to last year, which was a great year. Um, I just don't know what ingredients this program added to be viewed as a ceiling that could be any higher than that. I think that's fair. I think New Year's New Year's six feels like the ceiling for them. I, you know, Georgia just really exposed some of their limitations last year in terms of just having the the quality of athletes that you've got to have to get in the playoff and to have success in the playoff. And I, I think people really underrate Hendon Hooker's pocket presence, extending plays, uh, and and making plays when things break down. Joe Milton, TBD, if he can do that. Um, to say nothing of the the well earned accuracy issues, so I think the ceiling is probably New Year's six, and the floor it's it is hard for me to see them doing worse than seven and five. I mean, maybe you know you have a a year where you just you're in injury hell, and maybe you go six and six. But I, I think that eight that eight eight mark is probably the realistic floor with a possibility of seven. Kenny, what do you see with the Vols? Yeah, and I'm looking at their schedule now. Eight and four is my floor. You look at um, I see Alabama, A&M, Georgia, plus one. That could be, you know, at Florida week three, could be South Carolina, maybe Kentucky. There's another loss out there in a floor type season. Um, as for what I was going to say about Tennessee, even past Joe Milton's development and having to replace a lot of receivers, for me, it comes down to play uh, along the lines of scrimmage. And when you mentioned that game against Georgia, what Jalen Carter was able to do in that game and wrecking their game plan and not allowing for Hennon Hooker to have time to hit his first read and the physicality that George was playing with on the defensive side that kind of disrupted Tennessee's game plan. That was, I think, an eye opener for uh, for that program. And really a lot of people that saw Tennessee beat Alabama the way that they did. And then when you saw what happened when they when they played Georgia. So my question for Tennessee is, are they going to improve along the lines of scrimmage and are they going to play with the necessary physicality to truly challenge Georgia and make that next step into playoff contention? So um, part of that is recruiting. They're going to have to start winning recruiting battles for the the five stars along the offensive and, and the defensive line. Maybe somebody like a Darnell Wright going top 10 will, will help Josh Heupel in recruiting. Um, I know David Hobbs is a highly touted defensive lineman. That was a battle that they won last year. They're going to have to continue to stack those classes and develop those guys if they're going to, to reach that next step. But I'm looking at this team and I, I like the pieces that they have. Uh, 
New Year's six does feel like a, a good ceiling and eight and four would be my four. You know, what's what I'm thinking here, Dave, and I want you to walk me through this here, but mm-hmm. I'm looking through and because Kenny made some good points here about recruiting. And I know that people get frustrated when I talk about it too much, but I'm looking at Tennessee's. <laughs> yeah, I know, but people are like, oh, this guy is a one trick. Po-. OK, right, that's fine. But I, I just want to understand this or at least uh, put it out there that. Tennessee last year was is a perceived to be one of the leaders of NIL, right? One of the, the at least the the program that has um, one of the most competent and fast acting collectives uh, out mm-hmm. there, as you as you've written about. I can tell you, they just are they're more than perceived to be. I've I've done enough yes. reporting in that space that they yes, so money they and competency. Money and competency means you have your shit together and you can fix some problems with, you know some stuff with some cash. Okay. And then I go and I look at their, their class last year and I see Nico um, who is there as a five-star quarterback, number a top five player nationally. But then they've signed, I believe four players in the top 100 in totality. And it's like Alabama literally just signed nine, five-star prospects and your entire class with, with the NIL and money competency behind you manages four top 100 players. The gap between those two things, you know what that looks like? It looks like what happened in the Georgia game last year. So like when everybody talks about like, can money fix problems and can money, you know, put yourself in a position to compete at the highest level and to win a playoff game, I go, absolutely. But money has to equate to 10 to 12 to 14 top 100 players in a single class, not four. So if the team that is most competent with the financials of this whole thing in the collective and in acquiring top level talent can only muster up four top 100 players in a single class, then I feel like that to me is proof enough alone that we're a little bit further away from NIL ruling the show than we think we are. Is that maybe it's a complicated conversation. So like that was a, that was a talking point around Tennessee last year is they get Nico and there's this idea, you know, sort of like arch at Texas arch, you know, commits to Texas and they get like what, four or five bunch of like bang, 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 quick ones. Tennessee did not have that when they got Nico, they added a couple guys, but the, the sort of wave of um, you know recruiting shockwaves when they got Nico didn't really happen, and maybe that's because you need more of a proof of concept, um, and 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 maybe that's part of it. But you know, Steve Sarkeesian doesn't you know walk into recruiting rooms with you know national championship rings from Texas. So you know, I don't but know. Texas I don't have a good also answer has that. has thirty players in the top one hundred in their state too. Yes, like that's that's, that's, that's yeah. there's a little bit different too of like, oh, John Tay Cook, a five star receiver from DeSoto who lives three yeah. hours away, sees Arch Manning commit. Of course he's gonna go there. Tennessee's mm-hmm. whole thing is going to be accumulating talent on a national level. And I know there's some talent in Tennessee, but it's a long state. It's a weird state. Yeah. Um when it comes to like geographical allegiance and you have every team in the South and even some teams in the Big Ten going down into Nashville and the places where the talent does exist. It's like they got to face Alabama and Ohio State in their own state every time someone's good there. So, like, to me, it's like if that is the result, I don't know what the reason is or, like, the shock waves of, of what happened with Nico, but I don't see a team that is paying for mega classes here because they didn't have mm-hmm. a mega class. And if you want to take the next step in the SEC and not only – go eight or nine and oh, and then beat Georgia, but win a national championship. Do you see how far of a gap there is between who they were last year for how great they were? One of the most entertaining teams in the country to watch last year. 
They got their asses kicked. It was like unbearable to watch. And it's like, you don't fix that with Nico. You don't fix that with three players. You fix that with recruiting classes with 10 top 100 players in it for five freaking years in a row. And we are so far away from that happening. I don't give a shit who they brought in the portal. Like that, that, that to me is like, if you want to spend your money, make it rain, baby, because you're far away from, from being what, you know, you need to do to be Georgia. Or, yeah, Bama, or, if, or if you, or if you're gonna make it rain, do it more efficiently. Like if they're, I don't know what their nil budget or you know whatever it was, but they sent a lot of it to Nico. When you would probably think that what Josh Heupel has been able to do with quarterbacks and what his development was with with Hinton Hooker and and what they were able to do with receivers might sell itself to to skill players. But you send a lot of money to a quarterback, maybe you don't have enough money to disperse out to offensive linemen, defensive linemen, pass rushers, linebackers, players in the secondary, whatever it is. That's probably what I would spend my money on if I was Tennessee's collective or their program is let the proof of concept that we have built out with what Hannon Hooker did with what Jalen Hyatt did, use that to to bring in then skilled players and then use, um, you know, the millions of dollars or whatever it is to, to attract players from other positions and build out my class that way. Um, almost seems like hustling backwards. I understand that you have to have an elite quarterback to compete at the highest level, but that would probably be my approach if I was Tennessee. Yeah. Well, we did a, we did a thing here and I know David and we're, we're kind of going a little bit long here, but no, you're good. I don't want to make this. It's not fair to Tennessee to just make this an NIL discussion. The right. reason why it turned into an NIL discussion is because we're talking about them in the, in the framework of contention for the national championship. Well, that's their best bet like, to catch up to Alabama and Georgia. And that's their best bet to do that is through this Mm -hmm. and even though they are ahead of the market they are so far off and i did a um story and i think maybe you and i did it together we've done a lot of stuff i can't remember if if this is solo or not but i called 10 or 20 uh recruiting staffers in america last year and i just asked them if you had you know x number of millions of dollars um to go out and sign a class with it how would you go about doing it and nobody said I would give 80% of it to the quarterback and then see what happens from there. Like if that's what happened, and I don't know the financials of, of what happened with uh, Tennessee last year, but if that's what happened, it almost seems like a short-sighted thought that it's like, oh, we're going to go pay this dynamic player who lives in California and knows a lot of recruits a ton of money to come here and just expect everybody to come because he's coming and not get their payday too. Um, I would spread it around and maybe go for a middle tier quarterback that's dynamic and talented, but doesn't command such an, a price tag and try to spread the wealth so that the bodies in my rooms, every single room is stacked with blue chip talent. Um, and to the point where you get to where Georgia is right now, where it's even if Carson Beck is fine, I still think that Georgia is going to compete for and potentially win the national championship. You do that by spreading it around and signing class after class after class. That's completely and utterly loaded with top 100 players in there. Um, and that's the only way there's no shortcut. And everybody who thinks that NAL is going to ruin the sport, like pay attention, baby. It's not happening. And it didn't happen in year one without regulation. Even if it doesn't get regulated, people are going to start spending less when they realize that, you know, hey, what if Nico stinks? They're not going to want to pay that much money again to somebody else like that. It's only going to go down from here, I think. So it's just NIL isn't the game changer that we think it is. And um, I think that as the years go on, we're going to start to see that more and more. And Tennessee might just be exhibit A and maybe even A&M might be exhibit A of mm-hmm. of, of money spent. And hey, you know, we said it on the podcast the other day, Dave, money can't buy, can't buy anything in this mm-hmm. sport.
Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Well, let's shift the, the, the discussion to LSU. Uh, I've been driving the, uh, if Georgia doesn't win the national championship, LSU is the next best bet train this offseason along. I, I don't really understand the LSU-Bama debate. LSU seems clearly better to me. Brian Kelly has not won single-digit games since going 4-8 in 2016. Now he obviously is in a much more difficult situation, but a better roster. Are we in agreement that the ceiling is national championship for this team. And, and I'll start with you, Kenny, what's the floor? The floor for me would probably be an in two, um, maybe nine and three. I mean, you look mm-hmm. at their, you look at the, their schedule, they're starting off with Florida state. That's going to be a top 10 matchup. In my opinion, they're winning that game, but that is a losable yeah, game. Lose they, mm-hmm. Then you have Alabama, obviously Texas and and they lost to last year. So those are, um, you know, three losable games right now. They have to go to Ole Miss as well. So they're this, you know, this isn't a, a you know, a cakewalk schedule by any means. So I could see them dropping a few games, but I don't see them going any lower than nine and three in the worst case scenario. Their ceiling is definitely national championship. You think about what they were able to do in year one with Brian Kelly. And that was without Mason Smith, who's one of the premier defenders in the sport. They lost him in week one and then still went on to do everything that they did. They bring him back. They brought in a top 10 recruiting class from the high school level. They brought in one of the best transfer portal classes year two in the system on the offensive and defensive side for, for those players, Um, their star power everywhere. Depth is probably their biggest question mark, but at the top level frontline starters, this is um, one of the best teams in the country. So I could see them competing for a national championship and I don't see them slipping past a New Year's six game at their mm-hmm. floor. All right. Do you have any questions about LSU? Uh, I think my number one question would be if Jaden Daniels is good enough to take that next step, you know, mm-hmm. and I know that we're so quarterback oriented in the sport and there's a lot of, you know, I think they had some key transfers come into the secondary and there's some depth concerns or if they suffer a bad injury here or there that could expose in a weakness in an entire room. Um, but I think in order for LSU to be the team that you're so desperately uh, saying they're going to be, um, they have to have elite level quarterback play. And I know that we saw some improvement um, and certainly flashes from Jaden Daniels down the stretch of last year when they won, uh, what was it? Six or seven games in a row. Um five in a row, but at the same time too, they're also a beneficiary of not having to play Tennessee this year. Um, and that's another team that, you know, kind of embarrassed them uh, on the field a year ago. So do you think that he's going to take that? St- I mean, I know that Jordan Travis hype is, is huge at, at Florida state and whatever, but like, 
Jaden Daniels was a very high pick in our Heisman draft too. Mm-hmm. And it's like I watched I've watched him play quite a bit in his career and I've seen the fun flashes when he was at ASU and I've seen the downs last year. I just don't know if I look at him and go, that's one of the top three quarterbacks in America this year. And it's like, does he have to be that in order for them to score the 40 points that LSU is going to need to score when they play, you know, Alabama or when they play, you know, teams that are, are equally talented as them? Because I do agree that their, their, their ceiling is national title. Like they've got the talent to do it. But I don't know if I feel really great about picking them to win the SEC right now because I don't know that I'm in love with their quarterback. I, I agree with you. I don't know that he, you know, has me fawning. But I don't think he has to be Superman. I think their team is good enough. Their defense, especially the front seven, um, is good enough. That I think, here's my question for you. If Jaden Daniels does exactly what he did last year, can LSU win a national title? Because I think the answer to that is yes. I don't. Okay. I mean, I I don't know. Like, you're the one who always talks about, like, a a quarterback needs to will you to win. You know, he, 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 he is an impact player. He's just not Superman. He's an impact player, but he has plays that make you just want to put your head into the dirt. I don't know. I, I, I watch him. Had and I, not very many of those the last month of the season. I totally disagree with you there. At first month and a half, I, I would probably agree with you. Yeah, but so then you, you well, yeah, I mean, I watched the, uh, did I ever tell you that last year I went to Las Vegas um, for my fantasy football draft and I was there with a bunch of buddies and we had a draft room at the Green Valley Ranch there and. You know, it was a pretty big buy-in league, and we all collectively decided to bet on LSU against Florida State with the league money. <laughs> and we all, as a team, it just like, and then it's like, if we lose, then we lose the league money, and we all play for fun this year. And if we win, now then I know why you hate Jaden Daniels, sorry. But I just like that game. No, it's just like whatever. But they couldn't get a first down for four quarters, and I understand that was the opener on a Sunday, and he grew a lot during out the season. But it's like that Jaden Daniels has to be dead and gone. Yeah. Because yeah. if he still exists in any realm, then they won't win a national championship this year. So I certainly agree with you that he is tremendously better than that game later on. But I've seen the bad of Jaden Daniels, and the bad of Jaden Daniels has to be gone. Yeah, yeah. Let's shift to the Pac-12 real quick, Ari. Um, 41 minutes in, let's shift. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think USC can win a national title, Ari. I think they can I get to the playoff. I no. I. I don't see it. I, I don't believe that this defense will be better, even close to what it needs to be to get to that point. I'm going to say nine and three is the floor for this team. USC has a gnarly schedule. Have you yes. looked at it? Yes. It's okay. a problem. Like they're, and also, they're la- there's a bunch of good teams in the, in the Pac-12. The Pac-12 this year has a ton of awesome quarterbacks, which makes it one of the most entertaining leagues. And I do think it's hilarious that it's disbanding when it's like the most fun it's ever going to be this this year. That kind of stinks. But their last six games are at Notre Dame, home against Utah, at Cal, which is kind of a breather in the middle. Then they close with Washington, Oregon, and UCLA all in a row. Good times. So in order for them to make the playoff, they probably can only lose one of those because there's no two-loss team going to be making the playoff in the Pac-12. No. No. and I don't think their defense is good enough or will be good enough to not lose more than once during that stretch. Um, mm-hmm. I've always thought that they could make the playoff because the Pac-12 stinks and that if yes. you have any any pulse in the Pac-12, you know, they almost did it last year. Their their defense was borderline, I don't know, it was borderline. It was pathetic. It was awful. It was disgusting. It was treacherous. It was disaster. 
<laughs> it was a catastrophe. <laughs> it was, and they still literally were a half a football away with a, a healthy quarterback for making the playoff a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they can have that same exact team and still flirt with the playoff again. But I don't. the The problem for them is that the Pac-12 was just much better this year, and their schedule is hard. So I, you know, I've got a grand riding on this with Andy Staples. Like if they don't make the playoff this year or next year, I owe them a thousand bucks. I was confident <laughs> as hell that they were going to make it last year before the season started. And I don't really feel great about it. Now they might sneak yeah. into the 12 team or, and I'm going to have to get paid, you know, sucks <laughs> to suck Andy. But like, what did they do in the off season that made you think that they were going to completely wholesale, correct their entire defense? Barry Alexander is not going to buy you a right. playoff ticket. <laughs> Sick condo though. Sick condo. Yeah. Kenny, when I look at the other, you know, two of the other contenders for uh, for the Pac-12, I don't see a lot of difference in Oregon and Washington. Very fun teams, very good quarterbacks, new coaches. I guess I buy them as playoff. I think they have a lower ceiling, seven, eight wins probably. Uh, Kenny, what do you make when you look at Oregon and Washington? Yeah, I would agree with you there. I think what sticks out to me about Oregon is the what Dan Lenning is trying to do in terms of bringing in defensive talent to make them a little bit more of a complimentary team. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at their their transfer portal class and what they they brought in. Um, you know, covered Iowa last year, so I really like the Justin Jacobs addition. Um, you know, Kyrie Jackson was a starter at Alabama Fringe last year. Jordan Birch was a former five star. Uh, that didn't quite materialize in the way that maybe people expected him to at South Carolina, but um, you know somebody who's probably gonna yeah still a good player and somebody who's gonna play a big role on their team. So I, I do see a pathway for for them to potentially, I mean, make the playoff. I think again it's gonna take a historic season from them. Like Ari said, it's gonna take one loss from a Pac-12 team to do that. So I don't quite see it. I don't think that they're dipping lo- below. Seven and five, though. I think their floor is probably a little bit higher than that, maybe eight and four. Washington, I definitely love their team. And I think Michael Penix is a dark horse Heisman contender if everything goes accordingly this year. I feel the same way about them and their floor. I really don't see them dipping below eight games either. So um, I don't have last year's Pac 12 standings in front of me, but I think it was last year where they were, you know, teams with, you know, 11 and one, 10 and two, a few nine and threes, eight and fours all the way down. I feel like it's going to be like that again in the Pac-12. So I see mm-hmm. both of those teams as like floor, eight and four, ceiling, 11 and one, 10 and two. And it's just going to be a fascinating race. I feel like the odds of Oregon and or Washington, well, not and Oregon or Washington making the playoff is about like Georgia not making the playoff. And that like, I really don't think it's going to happen, but like, if you showed me a world where it did happen, I'd be like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Ari, where are you at on these guys? Um, I think that they blend together a little bit. Um, and I just, I, I, I just, uh, I feel like, and maybe I'm nuts on this, but did I, am I the only one that thinks that the, the only Pac-12 team that's going to make it is USC? This year? Yeah. Or in general? Yeah, yeah I think if it's going to be the, USC the or team. anybody else, yeah, I don't know. I, I like, think that's probably about right. I look I at Washington and I and I think um, we're too high. I look at Oregon and I still think we're a year or two away. Mm-hmm. I I think that they're going to be good, and I think they're going to be good enough to beat USC. I don't know if they're going to be good enough to get through their entire schedule and be a legitimate college football playoff contender. Um, and maybe that's just a, a short sighted view of it, but. You know, Oregon, 
I don't know. I just I watched the Georgia game last year, and I watched them, you know, get out there a year ago and you know struggle in a lot of the ways that they've done in the past, even without Mario Cristobal. And you know, the way that they lost that Oregon State game, I will never forget for the rest of my yeah, life. Yeah, that was that was pretty. Like, bad. I mean, they to blow that twenty-one <laughs> point lead without allow without even the other team attempting to throw it. It's like the most demoralizing way I can remember in college football to lose a game. And yeah. I know that all that stuff happened last year, and there's some steps forward that have been taken place but like with these two teams like are they actually going to be able to do it when people are expecting them to do it or are they going to come out of nowhere one time and actually do it like yeah i feel like usc has a has the same problem you know i i just for as fun as the pac-12 is gonna be this year i don't know if i take any of the teams outside of usc and maybe not even usc uh seriously in the national championship discussion yeah aria on a show last week we talked about you cannot overlook utah but let me walk you through Utah's schedule this year. Florida at home, at Baylor, UCLA, at Oregon State, Cal, okay, at USC, Oregon, Arizona State, at Washington, at Arizona, and then they finish up with the Colorado Buffaloes. Uh, I think that there is, I think to me, when I look at Utah, I see if there's a absolute train wreck at the top of the standings that we're sitting there and wondering how Utah won a third Pac-12 in a row at nine and three or whatever they finish at. I think the playoff is out of question with that with that schedule, even though I liked them for the playoff last year. Ari, when you look at Utah, what is your floor? And do you agree with me on that that they could they could survive if the Pac-12 gets real cannibalistic at the top? I mean, I feel like that's the only way that they're going to win the conference. Um, is if like Oregon beats USC and then USC beats uh, Washington and Washington beats Oregon and you know they all drop another game or whatever because like what what if UCLA and Oregon State are sneaky good this year I think I like the mm-hmm. over of Oregon State eight and a half wins this year I'm with um, you if you, especially if you look at their schedule I think they're going to be sneaky good and I'm super excited to watch DJU play but like with Utah when I look at their floor like their floor I feel like they could still be a seven and five or eight and four and still be a pretty good football team at the end of the year. Um, and that's kind of just the way it is all the time with them, even though they've won the conference back to back years, um, you know, an eight and four team that, you know, struggles a little bit, like it loses a game like at Florida or Baylor and then, you know, drops one to Oregon State and then one more to Washington. But, you know, beats USC and Oregon is still really, really tough. I mean, you could be eight and four in the schedule and still have a lot of good wins. Um, and that's kind of the way that I view them. And I'm excited to see, you know, the way Cam Rising uh, comes back and uh, recovers from that ACL a situation that he had at the end of last year, but certainly believe, be, think that Utah belongs in the conversation with the other three as potential Pac-12 champions for sure. Mm-hmm. We we got to close with the G5 here. We looked at you know I, when I look at the teams that I think are most likely to get that New Year's Six bid, I point to UTSA even without Zachary Franklin, Tulane. I've been I've been beating the Willie Fritz drum for years. I I don't know why more programs have not given him attention. I think I, I think I wrote or maybe just said Kansas should hire him like six years ago. Boise, Andy Avalos sort of uh, rallied them and and Toledo. Uh, we we've talked about them a little bit. Anyone else that jumps out at you guys as a team that can be New Year's Six bound that people are sleeping on? I'll start with you, Kenny. Who you got? Um. I don't know anybody. I can't really say anybody outside that you name. I really like Tulane because I feel like they followed the the model of a team 
that is going to take that that step in 2023. Like a Cincinnati, for example, like the year mm-hmm. before Cincinnati made the playoffs, they go undefeated and they have that close game against Georgia. And that kind of set the table for them to make the playoff the next year. I think they had one power five game on their schedule that year and then ran the table and made the playoffs. And then you look yeah, at that what Tulane did last Right. You look at what Tulane did. They had that great season and they beat USC. And now they come into this year. I believe Ole Miss is on their their schedule. So if they were to to beat Ole Miss and then run the table, maybe have one loss, then that's a team that I see um, as the one that's going to emerge as the New Year's Six level team. If they run the the table and chaos ensues throughout the top 25, maybe they'll get a a playoff shot. It is a long shot, but I think that's the team that I'm going to be putting my money on just based off of historical context and then how they've kind of followed that model entering this season. Michael Pratt, gamer, and a guy that's got some upside for the NFL. Ari, what do you what do you see when you what look do, at this? When race? you say contender, do you mean like making the playoff or New Year's Six? Like is that no what can the, get can get in the New Year's Six? I mean, maybe playoff. I don't think anybody else can. I mean, the the playoff conversation on the G five is is loaded it's kinda, and I, it's stupid. Like I don't get me started. But is there another team besides uh, those four? UTSA, Tulane, Boise, and Toledo that you think can crash the New Year's Six? Well, the one the one thing that I would have. Uh, I would have said because the the four that you named are probably the the four normal thought process mm-hmm. places, but I'm very excited and maybe this is just like the Dallas in me, you know, because I'm such a Texan now. <laughs> uh, but S- SMU could be a sneaky good team this year. I'm mm-hmm. very excited to see um, Preston Stone, you know, kind of settle into that role at the quarterback position. He's a fringe top 100 player, and you know they have some some big games against Oklahoma and TCU on the schedule this year, and. Um, you know, it, it, to me, I feel like even though the AAC isn't necessarily what it used to be, losing four of their biggest brands, that they have a pretty interesting schedule and one of these places that just scores a lot of points. Now, it seems with SMU that every single year we get excited about them and then it just kind of doesn't go that way. But if they could put up some points um, and, you know, have a star quarterback on their team, like they could be a pretty interesting team to watch down the stretch of the season. So I think the four that you picked out are good. I think. Uh, Frank Harris obviously deserves his own conversation as maybe yeah. one of the better quarterbacks in the country, UTSA. But, you know, SMU, watch out for them. I think they're going to be pretty good this year. Yeah, I think so. Um, well, folks, uh, enjoyed this show. This is a very uh, entertaining conversation. I feel like it's, it's you know, broaching what is possible is always interesting because I think that the season, when it actually arrives, has a way of defying that in some ways <laughs> and i think it's uh it's it's gonna be uh, i really am excited for this season so thank you guys for listening um be sure you're following the podcast you know wherever you listen to your podcast so that you know when we have new episodes they get delivered directly to your advice or to your device we always appreciate of course a five-star rating and a review leave us a review and you'll probably see it in a mailbag episode or our sunday sound off and subscribe to our youtube channel at until saturday and we go live on YouTube every Saturday and Sunday night through the season. So uh, I think Ari and I will be doing that a lot this year. So tune into that. Uh, so thank you guys for listening. Again, for Kenny Smith, for Ari Wasserman. This has been Until Saturday. I'm David Oven. See you guys again 